Hi everyone! Well, the situation in Israel is still boiling, even worse than last week, although a ceasefire is slated to begin in a few hours. So I wanted to come back with another episode on current events. There's a lot to talk about in any number of directions to go in. What you are hearing today is the fourth draft I've written in the last 48 hours, covering a range of topics. But I want to keep the focus today on Gaza, because that's what's dominating the news. I want to consider the latest argument going around to criticize Israel, the power imbalance between Israel and the Palestinians that renders Israel's actions in Gaza unjust and Hamas's attacks excusable, if not advisable. The essence of this argument goes like this. Exponentially more Palestinians are being killed by Israel than Israelis killed by Hamas. Such an incredible imbalance of casualties is a sure sign of Israeli overaggression, even war crimes. Between the occupation and its military, Israel exercises such disproportionate amounts of power over Palestinians that there's no excuse in its attacks on Gaza. The notion of a power imbalance isn't a new one, but I feel like I'm hearing it at a much higher tempo than in the past. Thank you, social media. It's an attractive argument. It feels true because of the graphic images in the media. If you're not someone who already knows a great deal about the conflict, it looks like Israel is taking merciless revenge on Gaza. It's also an argument that provides a safe way to criticize Israel. I don't have a problem with Israel itself, I just have a problem with the power imbalance. It seems to keep some people from going further to suggest that Israel doesn't have a right to exist or that Jews are committing genocide. But it's also attractive because it sets up the kind of binary morality play that we love. It's how its Westerners are trained to look at things. If I was less charitable, I would say it keeps us from having to think too critically, which we hate doing. There are good guys and bad guys, and the good guys are always the underdogs fighting against a stronger power. In today's parlance, you have the oppressed and the oppressors, and the oppressed can never be wrong, can never harm their oppressors. It's actually quite easy to figure out who is who. The Israelis, with their air force and their occupation, are easily painted with this oppressor brush. Hamas are simply resisting Israeli aggression, and it's a hopeless romantic cause because they can't possibly win. Therefore, Israel has no right to attack them. So not surprising, I find this viewpoint wanting. For today, I want to push back on this argument about the power imbalance. I think I generally have a pretty good sense of balance when it comes to looking at what's happening, but on this issue, I tend to come down pretty definitively on Israel's side, for reasons that I hope will be clear. First of all, Hamas is committing war crimes against Israel, whether the media wants to admit it or not. Second, I think there is a nuance to this question of power imbalance. It ignores the Palestinians' incredible ability to do harm to Israel which doesn't absolve Israel of the need to prevent civilian casualties as much as possible, because they do have that obligation. And lastly, I want to ask, what would be a better response to stop these acts of war, other than what Israel is doing right now? Spoiler alert, I can't say I've got a better answer, but we'll take a look. In this all-too-brief look, I have no intention of resolving anything or of hitting every possible argument and counter-argument, it's easier right now to find the perspective that Israel is just a murderous bully abusing its power. I want to push back on that and to raise a couple other different ways of thinking about this beyond the headlines and social media hot takes. So I'm your host, Jason Harris, and this is Jew Ought to Know. <laughs> I'm
I would say to young people that we can do everyone our share to redeem the world. So let's talk about the military angle for a few minutes, because I think that's really important when we're looking at what's happening in Gaza. It seems like Israel is using overwhelming force against the Palestinians that the Palestinians cannot match, both because the Palestinians lack an air force and because Israel's defense is so effective that Hamas's ability to inflict damage is ultimately relatively limited. Many people are drawing the conclusion that it's just not a fair fight. This was articulated by the comedians John Oliver and Trevor Noah, who both command a big following, them and many others as well. They slammed Israel's attacks on Gaza. John Oliver said, There is a massive imbalance when it comes to the two sides' weaponry and capabilities. While most of the rockets aimed toward Israeli citizens this week were intercepted, Israel's airstrikes were not. He went on to say that even though Israel claimed to be striking military targets, destroyed the buildings as humanely as possible, and warned people to evacuate beforehand, destroying a civilian residence, he said, sure seems like a war crime. What is absurd here, to me, is how he gets most of the way towards admitting that it's Hamas committing the war crime, but for whatever reason can't get himself to say it. Oliver admits that Israel tries to avoid civilian casualties as much as possible, so he really has to reach for an excuse to accuse Israel of war crimes, which is this destruction of a civilian residence. He doesn't question if what he thinks was a civilian residence was actually something else. Hamas intentionally places its weaponry and terrorist infrastructure in the middle of civilians, including in civilian residences, schools, hospitals, and neighborhoods. And that's a war crime. It then uses those weapons to intentionally target and kill Israeli civilians. That's also a war crime. Not only does John Oliver not accuse Hamas of war crimes, but he misses the opportunity to note that Hamas is committing two war crimes, under both international law and, really, any sense of morality. It is not, however, a war crime to attack a military target and accidentally kill civilians. Nor is it a war crime to be avoiding civilian casualties, but in the midst of a war, sometimes get it wrong. Which John Oliver admits Israel was doing. And yet Israel, because of its military superiority, because of its military power, is solely, in his view, to blame. Hamas is bad, but Israel is war crime. John Oliver, the New York Times, and others are also jumping on the argument that because Israel is effective at defending itself, Hamas doesn't really pose a threat, and therefore Israel is not justified in striking Gaza. Israel's Iron Dome is an anti-missile system that is able to shoot down 85-90% to of Hamas's rockets. Between that and bomb shelters, Israel has suffered far fewer deaths than the Palestinians. So because Israel can defend its citizens, but Hamas cannot, Israel's attacks on Hamas are vastly disproportionate, a stark example of the huge power imbalance between Israel and the Palestinians, an imbalance that renders Israel the moral bad actor, and Hamas is just resisting Israeli aggression. The comedian Trevor Noah put it even more simplistically. He asked, If you were in a fight where the other person cannot beat you, how hard should you retaliate when they try to hurt you? In other words, Israel knows that Hamas can't defeat Israel, so it's unjust for Israel to be retaliating against Gaza. He compared the situation to fighting with his brother when he was a teenager and his brother was four. His mother would tell him that because Noah was so much bigger and could crush his brother in an instant, that he shouldn't fight back. 
Now that's probably good advice for family dynamics, but Hamas isn't Israel's little brother, and Trevor Noah's little brother wasn't trying to kill him. Here's the point I'm making. I agree with John Oliver and Trevor Noah that Israel's military capabilities are far superior to Hamas's. But I disagree that that means Hamas can't hurt Israel plenty badly. Take away the bomb shelters, the air raid sirens, and the Iron Dome, and there's no doubt that Israeli casualties would be evened up with Palestinian ones. Perhaps Trevor Noah would feel better about the imbalance if Israeli kindergartners were murdered by Hamas, but Israel isn't willing to make that sacrifice to soothe Trevor Noah's sense of justice. The idea that Israel's ability to defend itself both prolongs this conflict and neutralizes Hamas's culpability is a pretty extraordinary perspective. It's profoundly lazy. And it gets to what I was saying earlier, that it's a cheap shot on the continuum of good guys versus bad guys, so we don't have to think too hard about the situation. I think the power imbalance is more evened up than people realized. It may seem like a subtle point, but it's not to the Israelis. Just how much hurt Palestinian terrorists can bring to Israel and the ways that Israel is actually limited in its ability to respond. There is a reason that Hamas's headquarters are in a bunker underneath Shifa Hospital in Gaza City. It's because they know that Israel, for all its superior weaponry, won't bomb it. Hamas doesn't have the same constraints when it comes to Israel. For them, hitting civilians is the point. A couple days ago, under international pressure to provide humanitarian relief to the Palestinians, Israel tried to open a border crossing with Gaza to drive in trucks loaded with supplies. Hamas fired at the trucks, forcing the drivers to turn around and the border to close. Hamas doesn't want any relief for the Palestinians. Hamas doesn't have the kind of sophisticated weapons that Israel has, from warplanes to precision-guided missiles that can hit an exact target. But it doesn't need those. The Israeli journalist David Horowitz listed the ways in which Hamas's attacks have already been effective. Horowitz noted that the rocket fire forced the evacuation of the Knesset, Israel's parliament. It played havoc with the Jerusalem Day celebrations. It delayed the court decision on the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood in Jerusalem. Jews have been banned from visiting the Temple Mount, Judaism's holiest site. The main airport has had to be intermittently closed, as have schools. Transportation has been shut down in certain areas. And he adds, it has rained rockets and mortar shells upon a widening swath of southern Israel and sent longer-range, more potent rockets deeper into the center of the country than ever before. Israel is living in a state of siege, and it's costing lives. And again, I come back to what the results would be without bomb shelters and the Iron Dome. The reason for all this is that Israel cares far more about civilian lives than Hamas does, and this accrues a huge advantage to Hamas. One that I would argue is essentially equivalent in weight to Israel's more powerful military. As John Oliver showed us, Hamas will garner no condemnation for its attacks on Israeli civilians, even when people are killed. But when Israel kills even one Palestinian, the world is ready with accusations about war crimes. Hamas is able to act with impunity because it doesn't care about civilian lives or international support, Israel, for all its superior weaponry, is dramatically limited in what it can do. It cannot bomb Shifa Hospital. 
In other words, Israel has a superior military, but it's limited in how and where it can use it. And that limits Israel's ability to defend itself. Israel is not indiscriminately carpet-bombing Gaza, despite what it might look like on TV. Just because it has that military capability doesn't mean it can use it, or will. Hamas's weapons aren't as powerful as Israel's, but they have no limitations on what they can shoot at. And that is an angle that I don't see anybody talking about, not least of all the pundits claiming to stand for the Palestinians. Right now, the only thing that Israel can really do against Hamas is bomb Gaza, is to try to strike as much of Hamas's military infrastructure and weaponry as possible. And many Israelis are enormously frustrated. So let's ask, is there a better way to go about this? Is there a better long-term solution to the problem of Hamas? A lot of people think that the root cause of all this is Israel's occupation. From the settlements to the land seizures, to the riot police on the Temple Mount, to Sheikh Jarrah, Israel is responsible for this crisis, and Israel can end it. There's a lot to say about the occupation's role in this conflict, and I'll be talking about that in a later episode. There's no doubt that occupation fuels and inflames the wider conflict. But I really think we need to separate that out from what Hamas is doing. Hamas is not a Palestinian human rights organization. Hamas's goal is not a prosperous Palestinian state with rights and dignity for the Palestinian people. Hamas's goal is the destruction of Israel and the murder of all the Jews there. They want to impose an extremist Islamic dictatorship on the Palestinian people, in which women are oppressed, gay people are thrown off rooftops, yes, they do this, and there's no democracy because all dissent is punishable by death. Hamas has made it explicit time and time again, that were Israel to get rid of the settlements today, to end the occupation today, that Hamas would not stop. And that's because Hamas considers the occupation to be all of Israel, not just the West Bank and East Jerusalem. The existence of Israel, anywhere you have a Jew living in Palestine, is the occupation and must be violently opposed. So again, that limits Israel's ability to end this conflict. Ending the occupation does not end Hamas. Stopping the airstrikes doesn't end it either, because Hamas began this war. When Hamas stops firing rockets, Israel will stop the airstrikes, but that doesn't work in reverse. Hamas has a lot of incentive to keep going, as I talked about last week. This is about sidelining the Palestinian government in the West Bank, called Fatah. This is about Hamas seizing the mantle of leadership and increasing its hold on power. So what could Israel do, besides the airstrikes that the world is so intent on condemning? There are three long-term options, all of which are bad or unworkable. So the first is that Israel could invade Gaza and go house to house to kill every last Hamas fighter and its leadership to destroy the organization. That would require an enormous loss of life, from Israeli soldiers to Palestinian civilians. Hamas has built an extensive network of tunnels under Gaza known as the Metro, they can pop out inside homes and buildings and schools and hospitals to kill or kidnap Israeli soldiers. Palestinians would be utterly trapped. It would be urban warfare on a nightmare level and would probably draw in terrorist groups like Hezbollah and Iran. Terrible option. Although the Israeli government is right now examining the potential of a limited ground operation. 
So invading Gaza, not a good plan. Another option is the diplomatic route, but with Fatah, the Palestinian government of the West Bank and East Jerusalem. In theory, coming to an agreement with them would calm the fires of conflict, especially in Jerusalem, and pull the air out of Hamas's supposed moral high ground. Hamas would be under pressure to keep things quiet, lest they undo the progress that had been achieved. The problem with this scenario is that Hamas hates Fatah and wants them out of power. As I talked about last week, that's the reason for this current war with Israel. It's Palestinian politics. Hamas, anyway, isn't looking for a diplomatic solution. It wants to destroy Israel. The third option is one that has been long talked about, and it's a good idea. That is for Israel and the international community to focus on Gaza's economic development. When Israel withdrew from Gaza in 2005 and handed the territory to the Palestinians, the intention was for the Palestinians to build a kind of mini-state, a precursor to a future Palestinian state. They would focus on economic opportunities, taking advantage of Gaza's beaches, for instance, to build a tourist haven, or to build an airport in which Israel would oversee the security. As a long-term solution, it has its upsides. If the Palestinians were prospering, Hamas would be reluctant to spark a war with Israel that would see those beach hotels destroyed. The Palestinians would have a lot more to lose and would be more likely to blame Hamas for instigating conflict with Israel. And who knows, perhaps a more economically prosperous Gaza would be able to push out Hamas in favor of better government. The problem with this is that Hamas already gets billions of dollars, and they spend it on their military, not on developing Gaza. All that money that goes into building the tunnels and buying the rockets and training terrorists is money that doesn't get spent on the Palestinian people. But again, that's what Hamas wants. So the idea of economic development is a long way off. Hamas won't even let humanitarian aid come in. Whenever I see what Israel is doing, I always ask myself, well, what should Israel be doing? Last week I questioned whether Israel should really be evicting Palestinians from Sheikh Jarrah. Is that really worth the cost? But when it comes to the present war with Hamas, I'm at a loss to think of a better solution. Turning off the Iron Dome so Hamas can kill more Israelis and even up the casualty count, it just doesn't seem like a good idea. And neither does refusing to bomb Hamas's military infrastructure. Israel has a right to defend itself. What country would act differently? Hamas doesn't represent what the Palestinian people want. If the Palestinians had a chance to get rid of Hamas, they probably would. But Hamas is the central actor driving the conflict here. The tragedy is that innocent Palestinians are caught up in the middle, but it's a tragedy that in Gaza is in the hands of Hamas. A good friend of mine, an Israeli Jew who lives in Jerusalem, has been writing eloquently about this conflict the last few days, and I want to read a little bit about what he wrote. I know it sounds foreign to Western ears, he said. It seems barbaric, primitive, violent. How I wish it weren't so. I wish our neighbors were Canada and Switzerland. I wish these conflicts were solvable by diplomatic talks and understandings. But in this corner of the world, one cannot rely on hopes, dreams, and prayers to survive. We are surrounded by enemies, a Zionist drop in an anti-Zionist ocean, waiting to overcome and annihilate us. Our survival depends upon one thing, our unquestionable strength. And he goes on. 
The survival of our people and our state depends on retaliation, on our ability to send a message clear as crystal to Gaza and to any other nation even considering to attack. Do not F with us. Israel must destroy and attack, building after building, launcher after launcher. We must continue on and on and on until we can look Gaza in the eye and be 100% convinced that they understood and internalized the simple message. Anything less means the beginning of the end of the Jewish state of Israel. If there is anyone who cannot understand this, that means they live in a far better, far safer, and far saner neighborhood than I do. Not every Israeli feels like that, but many do. And he speaks to the enormous frustration that people on all sides of this conflict feel. Each is determined to make sure the other side knows they're not going anywhere. It resists simple morality plays and pithy condemnations of Israel. It can't be summed up in hashtags or reduced to which side has more airplanes. Israel is facing an enemy determined to commit genocide. We Jews have been down that road recently. This is not a war between Israel and innocent Palestinians. It's a war between Israel and the terrorists who want to destroy it. Still, that doesn't absolve Israel of the obligation to act humanely. So next time, I think I'd like to talk a little bit more about the occupation and the settlements and Jewish extremism, maybe with more of a historical background. Probably next week, not quite sure. As always, my website is jewonano.com. And my email is jewonanopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. See you later.